there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one symbolically significant page of Talmud every day. And as we read today's page, Sukkah 34, we come across, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. Here's a taste from the Duff. Rabbi Ishmael says, the mitzvah of the four species is to take three myrtle branches and two willow branches, one lulav and one etrog. With regard to the myrtle branches, even if the tops of the two are severed and the top of the one is not severed, it is fit. Rabbi Tarfon says, even if the tops of all three are severed, it is fit. Rabbi Akiva says, with regard to the number of each of the species, just as there is one lulav and one etrog, so too there is one myrtle branch and one willow branch. And it seems to me that there is incredible significance here, not just religious, but also symbolic, because we see these four species appear again and again and again in artwork, on coins from historical periods. They really have risen to a place of great prominence in the artistic, symbolic imagination of our people. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the show, probably our greatest living Talmudic scholar, if I may, if that doesn't embarrass you, sir, professor at NYU, Jeffrey Rubenstein. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to be here. So tell us, this week's pages of Talmud are chock full of all kinds of discussions of, of the four species. I, I want to talk particularly about the lulav, because if I'm, if I'm reading this segment correctly, it seems to me that Rabbi Akiva in particular, we're sort of focusing heavily here on the lulav. We'll talk about the etrog some other time. But tell us about the lulav and its its symbolism. What does it represent and why does it continue to excite us so? That's an excellent question, and it's one that does not have a simple answer. The truth is that the symbolism of the lulav, and we use the term lulav both for the palm branch specifically, that is one of the four species, as well as a term for the four species taken together, or the three species as opposed to the etrog, that is the palm, the myrtle, and the willow. But it's such a good question because in this case, the Torah itself leaves us with a big gap. The Torah tells us to take these species and to celebrate, to rejoice before God. But it doesn't tell us why, and it doesn't tell us what they symbolize. And this is in contrast to many other examples in the Torah where the symbolism is clear, the rainbow, even the matzah. Right. Many of the symbols are, are very explicit as to what they are supposed to represent, and the lulav and the four species are not. So this actually leaves a, a kind of massive gap for later interpreters, both the rabbis as well as other Jewish interpreters before the rabbis and after the rabbis, to try to figure out what the lulav itself represents and what these four species are. In fact, you know, the Torah itself doesn't specify that it's an etrog, that it's a myrtle, it refers to these four plant species in more descriptive terms, and the rabbis understand them as we do today. You know, the, even the palm, the Torah refers to palm branches, but the lulav, which is the immature palm frond that sticks up without it being spread out like a palm branch, is a rabbinic interpretation of the Torah. So there's a lot of questions with the lulav, how we got to the rabbinic ritual from the Torah's description, and then what these four species, what the ritual itself is supposed to represent. And you're 100% correct that we find the symbolism of the lulav on coins, on tombstones, on synagogue art, on mosaic floors, but we're not 100% sure exactly what it symbolizes. There are some theories, of course, 
One theory is that the lulav represents in some way uh, kind of messianic hope or messianic times. Sometimes the lulav is associated, particularly in the Bar Kokhba coins, with an inscription that says, for the redemption of Israel. So this is one possibility. That's fascinating. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a total neophyte, but the first thing that comes to my mind, might it be that just as the lulav is an immature palm frond yet to grow into a majestic tree, so does struggling Israel is yet to grow into uh, its full potential? You know, it's possible. I, ha- I don't think that's the most common or accepted sense or connection to Messianic times. But the trouble with art, as you probably know, is uh, a lot of times the artists or the symbolism, especially in antiquity, isn't spelled out for us. We don't know what it really meant for them. So a, a more a more plausible connection, I think, is that the lulav is often associated with the temple. In temple times, the lulav was only taken, only waved, performed the ritual on the festival of Sukkot at the temple. We do it all over. We still do it in houses and synagogues. It's no longer associated with the temple. But while the temple stood, it looks like it was primarily, if not exclusively, done in the temple. And so because the rebuilding of the temple is sometimes associated with Messianic times, it's possible the lulav as a temple ritual, together with other temple rituals and symbols, we have symbols of the temple on coins and in art. We have symbols of incense pans. It's possible all of these have some sort of messianic symbolism. Another theory, specifically with the lulav, because you ask about the palm, is that we actually find in rabbinic midrashim that the palm is a symbol of victory. This picks up on a Greco-Roman cultural form that the victor in races in the Olympic Games was awarded a palm as a, as a like we might do an Olympic medal. And so the rabbis might have picked up on this cultural symbolism in the Greco-Roman world. So the lulav itself is sometimes seen as a victory symbol. What is it a victory of? Sometimes it seems to be, again, a victory in the future over the enemies of Israel. Sometimes it's a victory, Sukkot following just after Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, a victory in judgment. That is, we prevailed in the judgment on the high holidays. So the lulav could be a victory symbol expressing different types of victories. I mean, I happen to think that the the lulav itself like some of these other symbols, a shofar, a menorah, they're associated with the temple. And as I said, the lulav was exclusively or almost exclusively performed at the temple. To me, it seems like the most simple explanation is that these symbols symbolize the temple and just the hope for a rebuilt temple, not necessarily even associated with messianic times or redemption, but it could just be the presence of the temple in our mind, in our liturgy, you know, in our life. Just like today, many of our prayers, many of our ritual cycles harken back to the Jerusalem temple. That is absolutely fascinating. And I will never look at the humble lulav the same way again. Professor Rubenstein, thank you so much for being our guest. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me again. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz. 
And our producers are Josh Cross, Sara Fredman-Ader, and Robert Scarmuccia. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeonedafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon.